Now, one of the features of modern life uh, is that we do job interviews, right? At some point, nearly all of us have had to sit some interview to get employed. When I was in secular employment, uh, I always struggled with job interviews. Because I always wondered how the Lord Jesus would answer the questions that were being asked me of me if he was in my place. You see, the problem with job interviews is that they're all about promoting yourself. That's the heart. I mean, that, 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 if you master the job interview, it's about that. How do you promote yourself? And of course, that's the opposite of what we as followers of Jesus are actually essentially called to do. It, it, this job interviews run against our instinct. We, are, we know that we are meant to shift our focus from us and to use each moment to promote the Lord Jesus. Right? In fact, I remember very well my encouragement, knowing the difficulty of doing this. I remember very well once I had a, a, a student um, just finished out of uni. He came, to, he came to live in London and he wanted a placement and he sent across his CV and it was very interesting uh, the experiences he had put or how he had been at the Aborisworth conference and he had dealt with uh, he had just been serving as a believer, and I was so encouraged by that. And I was thankful that it was me, a believer, reading this. I was like, I, I don't know how good he is as an economist, but bring this guy here, right? And uh, I, gave him a, I gave him a job, because I was so impressed about his honesty. Even in the way he wrote the CV, he was keen to promote the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I, found, I, I found that very difficult. And there's a particular question I always struggle to answer in interviews, and the question is simply this. What are your greatest weaknesses? What are your greatest weaknesses? Usually they ask you what are your greatest strengths, but sometimes the interviewer throws an interesting one. He, he or she wants to know what are your greatest weaknesses? It's a tough question, isn't it? A difficult question. Because not only because I, I personally have many weaknesses, Right? So you're like, where do I start? But also because the interviewer, what the interviewer wants to do is he wants you to be self-deprecating or humble while promoting yourself. Right? So you can't say, my weakness is coming late to work. No, no, no. It's hard to turn around that one. Where do you even start? Right? So usually what most of us say is this. My weakness is that I like everything perfect. Right? Which means that I do things really well. Right? But I can find it challenging to always meet the deadline. Sounds good, doesn't it? By saying that we have dressed up our weakness in the garment of our undoubted perfection. You want something done well? Please hire me, we are saying. Well, why do we feel the need to dress up our weaknesses like that? Because we do not like weaknesses. We don't like weakness, period. We don't want people to think of us as weak in any area of life. Now, I know actually as you're hearing this, you might question that. Because you know that one of the fashionable trends at the moment, especially online, is that people now are in the phase of sharing their weaknesses. It's a big thing now. People are keen to just tell people of how much they've suffered, how much time they've spent in therapy, and how, how they're really struggling, right? But I want to suggest that 
Even when people confess their weakness like that, they usually do it to project strength. I believe the experts call this actually foul vulnerability. Many people share their weakness as a form of narcissism or a way to control people around them. And I would even go further and say constantly sharing your problems with people is not evidence of itself that you want to change. As a pastor, I can often tell you it is usually the opposite. We want attention on us. We are trying to project strength through fake vulnerability. And so as I've thought about this issue at at great length, I've come to the conclusion that ultimately all of us are uncomfortable with our weakness, even those who seem to be sharing it online. We all long to be stronger. Weaknesses, you see, tend to rob us of happiness. And so what we try and do is that we try and do what we can to minimize them or work hard to turn our weaknesses into our strengths. Now, that's hard. And we don't have to because the good news of the Bible is that God knows we are weak. And he knows that in the fallen world, weakness robs us of our joy. There's a time coming, we'll come to that later, where we'll have no weaknesses in that sense. We shall be perfected. We shall be like Christ in his glorious humanity. But here in the now, The Lord knows that we need help. And the good news of the gospel is that God has come in Christ to bring joy to the weak. And this evening we have come to a passage in Luke that teaches us this wonderful truth. We are in Luke chapter 1, verse 39 to 45. We're going to walk through this passage. This is a story about Mary's visit to Elizabeth, very well known. And I believe the women, I think, as they are going through that, that, interesting, that, 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 that interesting book, wonderful book, they are learning. I think they probably even looked at this passage. Okay, so you can compare a few notes. I haven't read the chapter, but we can compare a few notes this evening. The story here is really a story of two physically and socially weak pregnant women, Mary and Elizabeth, and their weak babies meeting at the house of Zechariah. We might even call, I'm not focusing on this, but we might even say meeting at the house of spiritually weak Zechariah. This incident is really about the joy that the Lord Jesus Christ brings to the weak. That's what this passage is here for. And we can summarize the truth of the passage in one sentence, right? If we're going to summarize this in one sentence, what Luke is teaching us here is simply this. Jesus is God, right? Bringing joy to the weak by taking on our human weakness. Jesus is God bringing joy to the weak. By taking on our weakness. Now, that is a mouthful, isn't it? Right? So to make it easier, what I've done is we are going to learn and apply this truth under two lessons, which are set out in your outline. The first lesson is this. Two lessons. The first lesson is this. The coming of Jesus brings joy to the weak. The coming of Jesus brings joy to the weak. So the angel Gabriel, let's, let's, let's look at the passage. The angel Gabriel has visited young Mary and delivered wonderful news, extraordinary news, that she's going to be a mom to the Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at that this morning. And there is more news that Gabriel has delivered. Mary is not the only one expecting a special baby, 
Her relative Elizabeth has also received a miracle from God in her old age. And she's already six months pregnant. And so as Mary hears this news about Elizabeth, she can't contain herself. And Luke immediately tells us that she goes quickly and to see Elizabeth to see this miracle for herself. Let's read verse 39 to 40. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste. That's very quick, right? Into the hill country, 100, 100 miles away. We'll come back to that. To a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now, if we are watching this on TV, we can see Mary entering the house of Elizabeth. And Elizabeth probably stands up to welcome her unexpected. This unexpected visiting relative. No mention of where Zechariah is. He's probably there, but remember, he can't speak. Right? So we don't hear him here. Right? But he's probably there, or maybe he's in the next room. We don't know. But at that moment that Mary enters, right? And, the, and perhaps Elizabeth, in her old age, six-month pregnant, stands up to welcome her. We are told the delighted baby... John makes his presence felt in the womb of his mom. Look at verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, right? The baby leaped in her womb. Let's just pause there. Now we know that babies at six months still in the womb. Nothing extraordinary about that. But what John is doing here is not ordinary. His mom senses, with the help of the Holy Spirit, that baby John is bouncing with joy. Right? As she explains later in verse 44, look at, just glance over verse 44 there. It says, For behold, when the sound of your greeting, this is Mary, Elizabeth speaking to Mary, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for John. So this movement, the mom recognizes, by the help of the Holy Spirit, it's a leap of joy. Right now, it's important here. Going back to verse uh, to verse forty-one, there. It's important we understand here that it is not the voice of Mary in of itself that has made John leap with joy in Elizabeth's womb. It is the presence of the other baby in Mary's womb. If Elizabeth, if Mary just stand up without. The baby inside, there would be no movement in Elizabeth's womb. It's because there's the other baby present, you see. Baby John, whom the angel said, he will bring joy and gladness to the people of God, Israel, is himself remarkably rejoicing because he's in the presence of somebody infinitely higher than him. He's in the presence of baby Jesus. We should know something very important in passing here. And it's something that we've touched on briefly uh, before. It is this. The reaction of baby John at the presence of Jesus, who at this moment is less than a month old, shows life begins at conception. Why does life begin at conception? Because we are not just DNA. There is an immaterial part of us. Every human being has a human spirit or soul. And we receive this human spirit or soul when we are conceived. It's so vital you understand that. Because the world is asking questions. When does life begin? And they are looking to science. Well, the point is, 
the Christian basis for why life begins at conception has nothing to do with the latest scientific evidence about how babies move. It's to do with the belief that at the moment of conception, you are not simply flesh and blood, you have the human spirit in you. It is duality, we might say, in us. That we are not just DNA. At conception, we receive a soul or spirit. And this is vital, beloved. It's vital for how Christians think about contraception and which contraception do, uh, those issues. Because there, there's a recognition here that from the moment the egg is fertilized, as it were, it is wrong to abort at any stage of pregnancy. It is killing a real person who has assumed a human spirit. And we as believers must recognize that regardless of our past experiences, we must be willing to speak the truth to a culture that doesn't recognize personhood. So that is in passing, isn't it? The main point, though, in this passage is that the reaction of John to the presence of Jesus is teaching us that the coming of Jesus brings joy to the weak. The weak baby in the womb, John, cries for joy. Did you notice how precise Dr. Luke is in verse 41? He says, the baby leapt in our womb. That is Elizabeth's womb. We know babies live in the womb. But three times Dr. Luke mentions it here. Why this precision about the womb? It is partly because Luke, like most doctors, tends to be precise. He deals in specifics. But there's another reason he's precise. I think he's especially precise here because he wants our attention on the womb. The womb speaks of human weakness, frailty, and vulnerability. Three times he mentions the womb. And yet specifically, the womb that baby John is in. Because baby John is in that womb under protection. And it is in this vulnerable state, you see, of baby John that God has caused baby John to rejoice at the presence of Jesus. It is important that he rejoices in the womb because Jesus has come to bring joy to the weak. Dr. Luke is teaching us that the coming of Jesus brings joy to the weak. And in John's case, we are seeing the joy that Jesus brings to the physically weak. The physically weak. You know, as we go through Luke, we will see more evidence of Jesus bringing joy to the physically weak. Look out for that. We see Jesus heal the sick, raise the dead. Many miracles Jesus would do to, 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 to bring strength to the weak in different ways. The point of the miracle, you see, see, is not to banish physical weakness from the world. Jesus isn't doing that to get rid of sickness. But these miracles have been included to teach us that Jesus brings us joy in the middle of physical weakness. No matter what illness, what disability, what age restrictions that you have, those things do not need to be measures of your happiness in life. They don't define us in Christ. Are you feeling physically weak at the moment? Well, if you're a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are already well provided for in your weakness. Jesus is with you. 
as you're joined in your current weakness. Now, it is okay to pray for change about any weakness. But what you need most is his presence, not the change in circumstance. Rejoice that in your weakness, Christ is strong for you. The coming of Jesus brings joy to the physically weak. And not just the physically weak, he also brings joy to the socially weak. Or the trampled trampled down upon, we might say. Let's rejoin Luke there to see this clearly as he describes Elizabeth's reaction in verse 41. Notice that John has lived for joy in Elizabeth's womb, right? And Elizabeth joins in. Look at verse 41 to verse 42. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Elizabeth has been filled with the Holy Spirit, right? And she now pronounces what, we might, what is called an Old Testament bereka, or a benediction. This is really a declarative prayer of blessing for Mary. It's a bit like the prayer we say at the end of the service. It's a benediction, what we have here. It's a barrica. She's saying to Mary, Mary, you are the most blessed or most happy of women. You are the most happy woman among all women, essentially. Women who at this time were at the bottom of the social ladder. That's the point. She is strong. She is blessed among the weak, is what Elizabeth is saying. You see, by reminding us of the womanhood of Mary, Elizabeth is saying the coming of Jesus has brought joy to those who are socially weak or trampled upon. And again, as we read through Luke, we'll see more evidence of how the Lord Jesus brings joy to the socially forgotten. We see Jesus reaching out to women as they follow him. We see Jesus lifting up the children and blessing them. We see Jesus extending love to the foreigners, the Gentiles. And again, one of the points of our Lord Jesus is the point. One of the points of our Lord Jesus' interaction with these groups is not so much to demolish social hierarchy, right, but to bring joy in the middle of social weakness. You see, the answer to our social weakness, even in society, is not to recruit Jesus to give us a justice utopia, to have Jesus as our social justice warrior, but to rest in the joy of Jesus, in the middle of our social weakness. Perhaps you've been mistreated because of your gender, because of your race, because of your age, because of your socioeconomic status. Those things are serious. They can inflict painful scars in our lives. But if you are a follower of Jesus, this passage is saying those things do not need to be measures of your happiness or joy in life. They don't define you. True joy comes from giving ourselves to Jesus and allowing his presence to be with us in those moments when we feel trampled on by the world. Are you feeling victimized at work? 
Is the boss nasty? Is someone in your life mistreating you? Are you suffering injustice, perhaps, in some relationship? Oh, beloved, do not despair. The Lord knows your social weakness. Rest in Him, no matter how socially weak you are. We are the most blessed of all people. Because like Mary, we carry Jesus in us, don't we? Christ has been formed in us. He lives in us. And because the Lord Jesus is in us, like Paul, we can say, we delight in weaknesses, in hardships, in difficulties, for when we are weak, then we are strong. The coming of Jesus brings joy in our weakness. And in fact, if I had more time, I would also show you just from this passage, we're not going to do it, how the coming of Jesus brings joy, not only to the physically weak or socially weak, but also to the spiritually weak. Because remember, Jesus has entered the home of Zechariah, the unbelieving Zechariah. And that's why Elizabeth later on would say, how can it be that the mother of my Lord should come to me, should come into this house, this unbelieving house of Zechariah? Because Christ brings that joy, confirming that he's still in their lives, even in their spiritual weakness, particularly in the spiritual weakness of the silent Zechariah. The coming of Jesus, beloved, brings joy in our weakness, especially physical as I've said, and social weakness. It raises a question, doesn't it? How does Jesus bring joy to the weak? Well, the answer is our second truth. The first truth is the coming of Jesus brings joy to the weak because, that's our second truth, because Jesus is God bringing joy, you should say there, through weakness, through human weakness. That's our second truth. And we learn this truth from what Elizabeth says next in Abereka. Look at verse 43 again. And why is this granted to me, Elizabeth says, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? That's a question, isn't it? Notice what she's saying. She's saying Mary is the mother of our, is the mother of our Lord, right? What does that mean? What, what does she mean by that? Well, the key thing we read in Scripture is that you must let Scripture interpret Scripture. And especially, you must let, if possible, the person speaking to interpret themselves. That's one of the fundamental principles of reading the Word. Interpret the Word with the Word, and where possible, interpret the author with the same author, and to understand what they mean. In these cases, we have to ask, what does Elizabeth think she means, right? And the answer is in verse 45. Okay? Verse 45 says, what does it say? And blessed is she that believed that there will be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. The key point there is, the Lord in verse 45 is the same Lord in verse 43. Right? Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? What do you mean by my Lord? Well, the answer is, what I mean, Elizabeth says, is this. Blessed is she who believed that there will be a fulfillment of spoken to her from the Lord. The same Lord who, you know, gave you the word. Elizabeth is saying the same Lord of God who sent the angel Gabriel to bring the word to Mary is the Lord in the womb of Mary. And this passage is one of the most clearest 
passages in the Bible attesting to the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we can ask, who is this Lord who sent the message to Mary? Well, he is God, Yahweh, the Most High, the God of Israel. Because Luke has already taught us this, uh, this truth this morning from verse 26 to verse 33. Elizabeth is teaching us that Jesus is God. And how does she know all of this? Well, how do we know Jesus is God? Well, verse 41 is key, isn't it? She knows this truth by special revelation. God the Holy Spirit has revealed it to her. You see, these whole passages full of the Trinity. We talked about that this morning. God the Holy Spirit has revealed that truth in verse 49. Because Elizabeth has been filled with the Spirit as she gets this revelation. In short, our Baraka is amazing. <laughs> because Elizabeth here is teaching us in verse 42 that Jesus is fully human, isn't it? She speaks of, blessed is the fruit of your womb. Right? He's, he's, a, he's a son of Mary. He's a fruit of Mary's womb. He, he has all Mary's DNA. And then in verse 45, Elizabeth has just told us that Jesus is fully God because, because he's the Lord who sent the angel Gabriel to prepare his own entrance into the world. You see, the coming of Jesus brings joy to the weak because Jesus is God the Son as one of us. He's not just a man, he has come in our human weakness. Why do I say that? Because look at verse 41 to verse 42 again. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. That womb again, that word again, isn't it? The womb. This time not applied to John, but applied to the Lord Jesus. And notice again the title of Mary in verse 43. She's the mother of my Lord. What Luke is emphasizing in this record is that our Lord Jesus Christ has come dressed in our human weakness. As an infant in the womb of Mary. And he has come in that human weakness to bring joy to the weak. This passage is reminding us of a mind-boggling truth. We were reminded this morning, our Lord Jesus is the only person, as I said before, in existence who has in himself this union of contrasts. He is one person with two separate natures, sitting in perfect unity in his body. In Jesus, divine omnipotence sits side by side with human weakness. That's the wonder of Christ. That's the wonder of Christ. That's his unique glory. In fact, we even say it's a unique glory as our mediator that even the Father or the, no, the Holy Spirit shares. It's unique to Christ and it's the glory, as Manton reminds us, that comes from Christ having this perfection that's unique to himself of being fully man and fully God as our mediator. In this passage, what we're seeing is Jesus clothed in human frailty, isn't it? As he's living in the womb of Mary so that he can bring joy to us in our weakness. Now, we know that this physical weakness of Jesus is, the, is, the, is only a start of his embrace of human weakness. Jesus lived a sinless life. He goes on to live a sinless life by the Holy Spirit, doesn't he? And then what does he do? He then goes up to that cross. 
And in that greatest moment of weakness the world has ever seen, Jesus willingly lays down his life to save us from our sin. The all-powerful Lord Jesus Christ willingly allows himself on that cross to be crucified in weakness so that all who trust in him can have new life. A new life of joy with him. And dare I say, not just a life of joy now in this fallen world, but a life that will have this final and perfected joy, a joy that will be complete in the new world to come. You know, in this fallen world, our joy is imperfect. We are beset by physical, social, mental, and spiritual weaknesses. But beloved, a time is coming when we shall be totally changed. These weak and frail, weak bodies shall get a brand new body like Jesus. A time is coming when the burden of disease, pain, and all weaknesses will be gone. We won't just get a new body, we'll get a new character without any sort of weakness. Our character will be the, the character of the glorified humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, for the first time on that great day when Christ descends in glory, your inner life will be filled with every wonderful fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness to perfection. You will finally be able to love others perfectly. Imagine that. Your thoughts about them will be holy thoughts. Oh, beloved, are you not tired of sinning? Are you not tired of sinning? I'm tired of sinning. And praise the Lord that the time is coming when I will never sin again. All spiritual weaknesses gone. You and I will live an endlessly joyful and delightful life in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. As someone has said, out of prison we come to reign. That's our future. That's your royal heritage as a child of the most high of heaven. All because Jesus, our God, has brought joy to us through human weakness. So that's the theology. That's what this passage is teaching us. The coming of Jesus brings joy to the weak, point one. Point two, Jesus is God bringing joy through human weakness. So what? So what? We might ask. What's the big deal? How? We should always ask that question. Good theology, I hope. But what, what am I supposed to do with that? How does this change my Monday? I think we could spend the whole night just unpacking the so what. But let me just leave you with two things this truth demands from you this coming week. The first truth it demands from you, how you should respond to this truth, is that we must learn from Elizabeth to shout out our praises to God. For his goodness to us especially for coming to be with us in our weakness. Praise, surely, must be the first fundamental response. Not boredom, praise. Those who have received the love of Jesus 
the love of God in Jesus, who know this God who draws near to us in our social, physical, spiritual weakness. Oh, we are meant to declare the praise of God. We are meant to exclaim it. We are meant to shout it out. Because that's what Elizabeth does. I had to keep rereading this passage. I'm just amazed that verse 42 doesn't say she sang or she said it quietly. It says, and she exclaimed with a loud cry. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And she goes on to praise the Lord who's present there. That's how we mean to react to this truth. Praise to God. Praise God that in Jesus we don't have to bear our own weakness. Christ has come to lift our burdens up, to be our strength when we are weak. Are you praising God? Are you delighted? Does this mean that you hear it? Is it warming your heart? Are you saying, I need to praise him for that? I'm so thankful I'm a believer. I'm so thankful I have a God who bears with my weakness. I'm so thankful I've got a God who has visited me when, I'm spirit- when I was spiritually weak. And he saved me for himself. The truth is that most of us don't shout out praise to God. And the reason we struggle to shout out praise is that Especially when we are weak or burdened, is because we are prone to forget what God has done for us in Jesus. You forget that you don't deserve God at all, and yet God has sought you out to be His precious child. You are now the apple of God's eye forever. You forget that. And so, one of the responses to, to help you remember is that you need to focus on remembering that, I should say. If you want to grow in praising God, start growing in remembering and meditating on the gospel. And there I say, when you come to church, write down what you're hearing. Because you want to use those truths during the week to meditate on the gospel. Are you planning to use this stuff or not during the week? This is God's diet to you to sustain you. Take it down, beloved. And meditate on it during the week. Because the moment you hear it, the devil is going to come in and he's going to try and steal it. So remember what you hear on Sundays, what you're reading, and especially focus on meditating on the gospel, on what the Lord Jesus has done for you. And then actively praise it out before God. Don't just remember it, praise it out. Mama Alice does a great job of reminding us of this. Thing. The importance of praising out, rejoice, bask. Out in praise before God. You know, we express our thanks to God by telling Him through words or by singing out our praises to Him. We just read Psalm 111. We have the whole book reminding us of the works of God, what the Lord has done. But we need to do the same. Shout it out to God. Learn to talk or sing our praises to God all the time. Sing aloud His praises at church. Sing aloud His praises when you're in the car. Sing in the garden. Sing out in the kitchen. Praise Him for what He's done. In Jesus we have received favor upon favor. Blessing upon blessing. And it is more than enough, beloved. More than enough reason to shout out praises in our weakness. The problem is not the challenges you are facing. The problem is how you are responding to them. Are you praising God in your weakness? So the first response there 
is what? Shout out the praises to God for Jesus. The second, and I'll end, the second thing we must do, respond to this coming week as we think about this passage, is that we must learn from Mary and Elizabeth to encourage each other to keep trusting the Lord during our moments of weakness. Did you hear that? We must encourage each other, like Mary and Elizabeth, to keep trusting in Jesus. As, I've said, as I said last week, growing in Jesus is a community project. We need one another, especially in those moments of weakness. And it's so amazing. I've been so blown away by Mary and Elizabeth as I've meditated on them because I just see how they are modeling this. First, learn from the example of Mary. Learn from the example of Mary. Mary, in this passage, has traveled a huge distance at such short notice to support pregnant Eliza for three months until she gives birth. I just want to emphasize to you just how huge what Mary has done here. This is not a short trip of Uber or in my car to see my, my, my sister who lives in Thamesmead. Now, now, let me go pop over there because I need a bit of shima as it were. Now, this is not like that, right? Mary lives in Nazareth. The hill country where she has come, where she has gone, is south of Jerusalem. And the most likely route she's taking to come down is she's come down the Jordan Valley to Jericho and then up the steep ascent to Jerusalem. Then past Bethlehem to the hill country and altogether it could be somewhere between 90 miles to 120 miles on foot. Think about that. Now, don't forget that Jerusalem, right? The outskirts of Jerusalem are around 2,500 feet above sea level. While Nazareth is 1,200 feet above sea level. So what's the difference for the mathematician, right? This means Mary, in her journey, has trekked uphill around 1,300 feet in elevation to get there. Look, this is not like the easy walk some of you did at Holling, which you said, oh, I should have chosen a different way to walk on that fellowship day. It was too much climbing, I heard some of you say. It's not like that, right? This is a serious walking. All I did just fine, I'm sure. You know, it's easy for him. But for some of you, I heard you complain. Oh, it's too long. You know, we're just climbing. Well, no, this is more. This is more, right? The physical toil on young Mary must be huge. Even though she's not more than three or four weeks pregnant, it's still huge. And the journey actually has probably taken her four days. And you know, there would have been dangers along the road. The mountainous area is a popular place actually for bandits who surprise unsuspecting travelers. We, we all know that the parable of the Good Samaritan. We know where the people are traveling, yeah? Figure that, right? This is a dangerous undertaking, she's just come to, to come to be with Elizabeth. But you see, Mary is so committed to visiting Elizabeth, not just for her own spiritual encouragement. Yes, there is something about that. 
But she wants to be there to encourage and support her relative. And the proof of this is that Mary stays there for three more months. And then she has to do the same journey back. You see, instead of Mary, now think of Mary's situation, okay? Mary's got a lot on. A lot on. There's Joseph there to sort out. Well, you could argue this shouldn't be, she shouldn't even be here. It's not a priority for her. She's going to be heavily pregnant soon, right? But you see, instead of Mary using her own frailty as an excuse for not pouring her life into Elizabeth, she's trusting God to work through weakness. Oh, she's so like Jesus. She's, trust, she's so like her son. She's trusting God to work through human weakness to serve. And of course, from the moment Mary arrives, her presence is used by God to encourage Elizabeth in a way that even Mary could not have foreseen. Mary didn't know that she's entering the home where the husband has just been struck down for not believing in God. And, and I'm sure that got Elizabeth down. Where the home isn't functioning as it should because the husband can't lead. He's not leading spiritually. And she's there to encourage. That's Mary. That's Mary's example. I wonder, who in this church can you be a Mary too? Where is God calling you to cross a social, physical, even spiritual distance to wear out in support for another person? Who is going through a moment of weakness as Elizabeth was going through? Who is going through a moment of weakness in their life who you can truly sacrifice to support and care for them as Mary does? Don't tell me you got this burden, you got that burden. I just say, use, compare that to Mary's situation. God will help you even in your weakness. Especially in your weakness. You see, the issue is this. To be a married to others, we need a humble heart. Are you not amazed that after Mary is called the mother of the Lord by Elizabeth, she doesn't just say, okay, hi, all right, why? So I believed it before, I believe it now. Yeah, yeah, please uh, row up and uh, prepare my journey. I'll be going back. <laughs> Are you not surprised she's not loading it over her, given who she is now, how blessed she is? Mary isn't inviting worship, and Mary shouldn't be worshipped. That's an obvious point for us to grasp. But more than that, we are meant to learn our humbleness. Because we read later, and this is why I included verse 56 in this sandwich, uh, as it were. Verse 56, and Mary remained with her about three months. What is she doing those three months? Just sitting? Why three months? This is the sixth month. She's there to be there for her. To support her as she gives birth to John the Baptist. She has come to serve a hundred miles. That's the humbleness of Mary. That little verse, you should treasure it, verse 56. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. It's a wonderful verse. It's teaching us that Mary kept on serving after she heard just how blessed of God she is. You need humility in the, to be to serve like Mary in the church. And you also need to have the heart of self-forgetfulness. 
As I said, Mary has a lot on her plate, but she's still giving herself to minister to Elizabeth. Humility and self-forgetfulness. If your life is all about what is me and the issues going on in my life, you won't be a Mary. And this sermon is not for the women only. It's for all of us here. We are, Mary is here as our example, whether you're a woman or a man. So when I say, be a Mary, don't say, oh, this one is for my wife now. I can, I can just, uh, this is for all of us. For those who are married, shouldn't even use that excuse, right? The point is, this is for us. Humility and self-forgetfulness for us to serve through weakness. So learn from the example of Mary to encourage others to keep trusting Jesus. And learn from the example of Elizabeth. We must not forget Mary is a young woman with huge responsibilities, I've said. We would not be surprised if before she arrived at Elizabeth's house, she was starting to feel overwhelmed by the new privilege and the new responsibility. We would not be surprised if Mary has a hundred emotions running through her heart right now. She does need an older, wiser, godly believer. She's a sinner after all. Like all of us. She needs. A believer, yes, but a sinner still. And she needs an older, wiser, godly woman who she can trust. She needs, we might even say, to be mentored. She needs someone going through something very similar to her. And who is better to do that than the wife of the priest? One of Aaron's daughters. The Lord has provided in Elizabeth just the right person to encourage her. Now, it, it requires humility on Mary's part to take the advice. And we could have a whole sermon on that. Don't worry, don't panic. I'm not going there. Right? But it's interesting, isn't it? That the first words out of the mouth of Elizabeth must have been so powerfully encouraging to Mary. To be reminded that she's the mother of the Lord. We think that she's just saying it. But she's reminding Mary, isn't it? Affirming her. The Lord knows what's going on in Mary's heart. The Lord knows these are the words Mary needs right now. To be reminded, you are the mother of the Lord. Verse 42. And look how she goes out of the way to affirm her. Let's just read that. Verse 42 to 45. It's worth reading, isn't it? Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, and wise is granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there will be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Lovely, isn't it? We don't need to imagine just how those wonder, what those wonderful words from Elizabeth did to Mary. They must have lifted her up. And you know, we know they have moved Mary's heart. Why? How do we know? Because Mary's song is a response to the barricade. Verse 46 to verse 51 is a response to what Elizabeth has said. Everything we're going to look at Sunday morning is as a result of the encouragement she has received and the work of the Spirit. The point is, Elizabeth is an encourager. He is a godly, spiritual woman getting alongside a young, humble woman willing to learn and be encouraged. I wonder who among us 
can you be a Elizabeth too? God has been working in your life. As some of you spiritually mature women, I would say, God has worked in your life, invested in you over the years. You know the Lord not only theologically, you know Him intimately, experientially. Who can you be Elizabeth too? Which person is perhaps a bit less experienced in life or walk with God that you can support? And can I just give here, beloved, I'm, I'm way overrunning. I'm planning to make these evening services be shorter, but I'm way overrunning. But I think of Mary's age. There's debate about how old she is. She might be, I don't know, 13, 14, 15. It's a small age. But I think of our young women in this church. I need not mention them. I have them in mind when I'm thinking of you being spiritually mature. You getting alongside some of our young people about to go to university, for example. Or some who are still in secondary school. In that age group. Beloved, let us take this seriously. You can get alongside them. You can encourage them. Not just the young people, but also the young men in the church. Don't just leave them. Like that. Don't just leave them. Make it a priority. And of course, there are younger women. Yes, I know, beloved, I know that, 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 that for Elizabeth to do this to Mary, Mary is humble. I know that. And some of our young people are no humble. Some of the people want to get alongside you are no humble. But you can pray about that. Because it's not just Mary's humility, it's Elizabeth willingness to serve and pour be there. When this church is going through a challenging time, we might even expand that you need to go and affirm them in Christ to remind them that they are blessed of the Lord. Our Lord Jesus, you know, is our only strength when we are weak. And he gives us that strong support, beloved, through his spirit and through his people. We are the arms and legs and feet of the Lord Jesus. This week. Today, beloved, today. Give yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. As you hear this message, uh, as one of the sisters was doing, so impressed by her, I'm not going to say much. But as she was listening, I was just so struck. She had the message last Sunday morning. And she was thinking about there and then applying the truth. Oh, beloved, how I pray as you hear me now. As we talk about the burden of our young people, before you leave this place, you commit yourself to get alongside someone. Don't wait until the end of the week. Obey the word of God. Now, give yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ to be a Mary or Elizabeth to another person. To encourage and strengthen them in Christ. Amen.